We didn't fake trading spaces. That, what you saw is what it was. If you ever saw the episode where Hildy decided to staple thousands and thousands and thousands of flowers to a bathroom wall, yep. <laughs> I was the one, one of the one, one of the many stapling those flowers. <laughs> We were literally all cross-eyed by the end of that episode. We knew they were gonna hate it when they saw it. She knew they were gonna hate it. She put a staple in my ass at two o'clock in the morning. I don't know if it's because she was delirious or because she saw me falling asleep while I was stapling, but that one will forever be ingrained in my mind as my nightmare. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of My Gay Life Podcast. I'm Becca, your other host's butts, and uh, we know it's been a minute, but like all good things, they tend to come back around, which is, uh, you know, sort of the theme for this this episode. Butts got a chance to sit down with an old friend of hers, Paige Davis, you know, the Paige Davis, host of Trading Spaces on TLC, your favorite show from the early 2000s that happens to be coming on back April 7th on TLC. They didn't pay me to say it that many times, but I just am really, really excited. So I think you'll really like this episode. Uh, Butts and I kick it off with a little recap on some updates with some old friends of ours from previous episodes, and uh, and then we hop right into the interview. So um, yeah, enjoy the show. Been forever, Buttsy. It has. I'm glad you remember my name. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of fans asking about us. Where? What have you been doing? What? Are, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I do have a, a couple jobs. Yeah, I got to keep guess. up with that. And, you know, football season started for the Majestics, so I'm mm-hmm. kind of busy doing that stuff. And I have a wife and a two-year-old, so it, it's it leaves very little time. I guess. You know, recording these things that we have fun doing it, and that's the easy part. But putting them together and getting them out there, man, that's time-consuming it is yeah you know the whole full-time job thing yeah if anybody wants to pay us to do this i would happily do this every day of my life um okay speaking of football season let's do a little recap on the first four episodes we put out the first one was about women's football and here we are in women's football season yes so the majestics the seattle majestics first game coming up two weeks Two weeks, a little, little over two little weeks, over but two, two weeks. weeks, yeah, yeah. How's it looking? We're looking good. Um, we've got some pretty exciting rookies on our team, and the vets seem really pumped this year, so I'm, I'm excited. Good. I'm excited. We're doing uh, a lot of, if you don't mind me, talking about special teams. Of course, never. <laughs> um, Buttsy we're, ball. Buttsy ball. We're doing a lot of focus on uh, special teams drills, so it's not just a matter of get on the field, run down the field, get the ball. We are focusing on getting that ball and how to do it properly, and, and it's, it's amazing. I'm seeing a lot of good progress. I'm really happy. Ooh, that's exciting. It's really exciting. I can't yeah. wait. After football season, we talked to Zach Walls once upon a time. We sure did. And he had some big news recently. Zach Walls, who initially wasn't sure about his political aspirations, but was probably just being coy because mm-hmm. he's nice like that, uh, has decided to run for the Iowa Senate, District 37 to be specific. Yay. So we have any Iowans out there, vote for Zach. Yeah, go vote for him and go back and listen to that episode because, yes. you know, like like Becca said, he's a good guy. He's got a great story. So if you're not familiar with it, listen to our podcast. And, uh, you know, there's a subtle hint there. We were trying to get some information out of him, but he wasn't giving up. And, and now we know why. 
And speaking of voting, yesterday was March for Our Lives, which I think we have to acknowledge, of course. Absolutely. It's amazing. You know, we've heard people say that the best thing that could come out of this administration is change and getting people involved. And it is a huge wake up call. Unfortunately, the wake up call is coming from a gun, which is devastating. But the wake up call is here nonetheless. In this generation, I was I'm just so proud. You know, you worry. We always say I'm worried about the kids. I'm worried about my kids and their future. I'm not worried anymore. These kids know what they're doing. And, I, and I'm really proud of them. Oh, yeah. And it's the first time in a while I've felt that kind of pride mm-hmm. in our country and like in the messages that we're putting out there and just to see like the mass numbers yesterday was crazy and Mm -hmm. the support that they got and yeah that was beautiful Seattle had an awesome turnout for the march here also um and there was just I don't remember what the number was but hundreds and hundreds of individual marches everywhere from Montana to Mm -hmm. Texas to Florida everywhere in between even the little cities that just had about 100 people I mean that counts that that makes a difference and it it matters and I think the one thing that's really frustrating for me is no matter how political you are and how involved you get, even for my generation. I think we became really conscious about the environment and making things better for our world, but you're still overpowered by the old cranky politicians that are passing the laws and making the rules. And I think it's time to get them out. It's time to get the young voices in, the people like Zach, the people like the ones speaking at the march yesterday. Now is the time to really start pushing forward and getting some fresh blood in where it counts, where we can make the laws that matter that are fair to everybody. Yeah. And it's awesome to see in some of these like early elections, how many places are swinging completely mm-hmm. opposite of where they went in the 2016 election, which gives me some hope yeah. too. And yeah, it's a beautiful thing if we can <laughs> flip this thing around yeah, here. I think we have to, yeah. we have to, the whole world is noticing that, that this country is really going downhill. Yeah. So it's time to make it better. I think about the place I grew up, which has about 1,800 people. And the people who got out in the small towns yesterday in the groups of hundreds, those are kind of the most courageous and bravest among us, in my opinion. Whether you're a teenager, an adult, especially if like your job depends on your community, like that's not an easy place to like do that. And I really commend the people who got out yesterday, especially in those small towns. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, even to the celebrities who took the time to lend a name to this cause, because that's important. That's that's the culture we live in. We need things to be endorsed by celebrities to make it seem real or okay. So thank you for doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul McCartney was in New York City. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> I mean, him marching for John Lennon was beautiful. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. And, and putting their money where their mouth is, like in terms of we get celebrity endorsements all day, every day. So it's mm-hmm. so easy with social media for them to endorse whatever they want. But then to put your money where your mouth is, like, I think that's great. I mean, just the fact that John Lennon was killed by a gun, what, 30 some years ago by someone who shouldn't have mentally had one. We're still fighting this cause. That just... I think Paul McCartney reminded me of that. Wow, we have not come that far. (laughs) Speaking of celebrities and politics, how do you feel about your qualified lesbian, Cynthia Nixon? Oh, that was... (laughs) (laughs) What a great response, right? Yes. (laughs) Good for her. Have you ever met an unqualified lesbian? They don't exist. uh, I'm 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 going to let that one go. Um, (laughs) But what a great response. You know, good for her. She's so passionate. If people can look past the fact that she's an actress, because I know that sometimes that takes their credibility away. She's a very passionate, smart woman. Mm -hmm. 
And yeah, she's a lesbian raising a family in New York City. But mm-hmm. she, I think she could be change that we need as well. Totally. I, I'm 100% behind her because she's just a good person. She is. And I think she technically identifies as bisexual, but I think That's her true. wife yes. identifies as a lesbian. And yes. her wife is a super activist in New York City. Ultimately, the thing with politics is that it's just inaccessible to anyone mm-hmm. who doesn't have any money. Like, I could never run for office because I don't have the money to even get started. So, exactly. I don't have an issue with people who have the means to get involved in politics if they come well prepared and do their research. Mm-hmm. She might not be technically qualified in the greatest sense of the world, but we've done this to ourselves and we've made politics inaccessible. And that's how we have who's in office now so frankly i'm really excited to see what she can do and i think she's already saying the right things and cutting through a lot of the bs and it's just nice to have someone who really doesn't have anything to lose like she doesn't have a political career that she's worried about tanking so it's kind of a nice fresh start i like that she said she wasn't taking money from corporations she also had more small donation donors in her first day after the announcement than her opponent has had the whole time he's been in office so Anyway, if you're going to make politics accessible, we're going to end up closing it off to people like Mr. You-Know-Who and and Cynthia Nixon. And I would rather see more people like Cynthia Nixon get involved. So frankly, I'm really excited about it. And I hope she does well. I'm really excited. Yeah, maybe she'll maybe she'll be on our show. Yeah. Cynthia, (laughs) can you hear me? Someone did buy qualified lesbians or qualified lesbian.com and redirected it. Well, I did buy qualified lesbians with an S and I want to do like a blog. There you go. Um, and just post pictures of qualified lesbians, but, um, but someone bought qualified lesbian, not plural and did redirect it to Cynthia Nixon. Good for them. Yeah. I was really excited (laughs) about that. Speaking of wives, we talked to a real butcher on the fourth episode. Well, you talked to her. I got to listen to you guys. But then we went to her show. We did. Hers and Cameron Esposito's show. And it was so good. Um, Butts' wife was there and her friends who are ASL interpreters. And Mm -hmm. I just love both Cameron and Rhea because they're always inclusive and great. But Take My Wife is an awesome show. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It was really hard to watch um, only because it was like inaccessible. Unfortunately, it was picked up by CISO, which is NBC's comedy division that they ended up shutting down. And then it was like unstreamable. But just so a couple not, weeks ago. Not because it was an emotionally hard show to watch. No, it's emotionally fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. <laughs> it's comedy gold. So anyway, so season one and two are up for streaming on Amazon and Stars and a couple other places. Um, and season three, Rhea said, was already shot and done. Mm-hmm. So fingers crossed that we see that, see the light of day in 2018. Hopefully. That would be great. And maybe we can have her back happen. on the show. Look, I just think we're way ahead of the curve here. <laughs> we don't even know it. Speaking of being ahead of the curve um, or curves that come back around, Butsy, you spoke to Paige Davis recently. I sure did. My wonderful friend recently. It was a few months ago. So we've been Fair. holding on to this one. It's true. It's coming out of the vault. It's coming out of the vault because as you may have heard, Trading Spaces is coming out of <laughs> I am so excited to see my friends back on. They that was such an amazing show to work on back in 2003, I think it was 2002. Uh, yeah, so Paige was was happy to do our podcast and and talk a little bit about what it felt like to get back on set with this crew and this cast and um and and she's just such a wonderful wonderful human being. I, I'm so glad that I still know her because she's a great person. So that was a fun that was a fun phone call. It was a nice little catch up for us, but also fun to do a, a podcast with her. I miss you so much. I'm so happy to see your face everywhere again. Wild, the return. Um, It's just crazy to see everyone again. And um, 
it's really been like not even skipping a beat. You know, we did 60 episodes plus 15 specials and, you know, mm-hmm. we essentially did 75 episodes a season and worked together year round and never stopped. So we never stopped. It's a very different situation than, you know, nowadays, if you get 13 episodes, it's considered, you know, gold. You were the one that traveled for every single episode because there were two designers and many, two carpenters and many designers, but there was only one host. So you were a mad woman back in those days. Let me, let me talk a little bit about our relationship. We obviously met on the set of Trading Spaces. I think it was either 2002, 2003. What was that like for you? Because you were coming from the theater community. What was it like to be all of a sudden a hit TV star? <laughs> well, <laughs> you laugh, but you were. <laughs> you have, we have to put it in perspective. We were, we absolutely were a very popular show in the realm of cable. Um, cable in and of itself was just becoming really prominent and surging forward as a, a force to be reckoned with. And there weren't any Netflix or Hulus or anything. Oh, no, none of that existed. And certainly no, um, you know, shows on YouTube or anything like Mm -hmm. that. So, yes, we were very huge for the cable world. And we were definitely making a dent in pop culture. And what we came to find out is that we were truly changing the landscape of television to where other networks, um, cable and also broadcast, were willing to take chances on DIY shows. So, you know, then we have HGTV surging, and then we have Mm -hmm. Extreme Makeover Home Edition on ABC surging. And Mm -hmm. um, we were sort of the catalyst for that. And our numbers were really huge. You know, we did that. Uh, we did a special, a hundred grand, the hundred grand episode, where instead mm-hmm. of the homeowners each having a thousand dollars per room, the teams were given a big surprise that they would have fifty thousand dollars to spend in the one room, and that hit. I, I believe. Well, there were some arguments. Did we actually hit a seven <laughs> or not? <laughs> I think we did. <laughs> well, we're going to go down and say we did. We did. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I mean, it, that was unheard of for a, a cable show and even mm-hmm. some broadcast networks were, were, weren't hitting sixes and sevens. So, and our normal hit was probably anywhere, anywhere from two to three and every once in a while four. Well, mm-hmm. nowadays, if even a hit show on cable, if they hit a one or two, it's considered a massive win. Because now you don't have just the popular five or six or ten cable networks to choose from anymore. Now it's like we have to share that point load with hundreds of very prominent. Yeah. It's overwhelming. Or network. You know, so we hit early. And that's one of the reasons why we're so remembered and so beloved. But even at a one or a two or a two or a three, you're still looking at a very low point of the market. Like 
there are millions of people who have absolutely no idea what trading spaces is, <laughs> you know, whereas obviously, you know, you, you would have to live under a rock to not know Will and Grace or to not know American Idol or to not know Law and Order. Yeah. But somebody might be a little surprised if you haven't heard of trading spaces or at least it hasn't been on your radar in some way. But but really not. I mean, so yes, it was a hit show, but I just try to keep it in perspective. <laughs> well, I mean, it was it. There were so many wonderful personalities on that show too, between the designers and the carpenters and you. I just think, yeah, okay, there weren't as many shows to choose from, but really, people they tuned in because they really liked you guys. You were so likable, and one that's one of the questions I used to get was, are they really like that in real life? And you guys are. You're just wonderful people. Yeah, it's true. Um, the only uh... I always said that, you know, everybody thinks that Hildy is such a witch. And, of course, <laughs> the wonderful thing is, is that she was actually the most generous, maternal, nurturing one of us yes. all. You know, she's yes. like the nicest, classiest person. Um, and, of course, Doug, although we always joke, we make jokes about him being such an egomaniac. Um, he also is, you know, very kind and you know, we used to do a lot of events together and he was just always such a good date. You know, he was so chivalric mm -hmm. and so kind. So I always felt like if anything, it was the negative aspects of the lore that were not true, not the positive aspects of yeah. the lore. Although that's true too. I do have a sailor trucker mouth, which a lot of people might not know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, the Paige, page, you uh, do. I, it, <laughs> <laughs> When it's we, kind of endearing, though. For the reboot, we were back on set for the reboot, and one of the producers, her name is Michelle, and she said, I still can't get used to it, Paige. It's just so weird. I look over at you, and you're <laughs> dropping the F-bomb, and and it's terrible. And I've really tried to curb it. I really, really have. But I guess apparently I haven't because it was brought to my attention by, by yeah. that producer. She's like, oh, my God, Paige, you swear like a sailor. <laughs> We could have done a whole blooper reel of you just cursing. It was amazing. And it's just, it doesn't seem as evil coming out of that sweet little face. You're just, it's its well, like she it, said, it, wow, I Paige. Very, <laughs> I think it's very disconcerting to people. And I feel terrible <laughs> about it. And our um, previous executive producer, who you know very well, Tom Farrell, he used to tell yes. me all the time, like, Paige, it's just not ladylike. <laughs> yeah, I think you probably use that line with me, too. Yeah, that would just yeah. make me want to do it more. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't he know he's instigating? I mean, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, I will, I, something that you, what I want to bring it back to was the the cast. Those friendships that we formed out there, there were very real. And I think I do, do believe deeply that the true success of trading spaces lies or lays, let lies. Uh, in the casting of the show. I mean, those extremely unique people and personalities who stayed true to themselves, whether it was on camera, just as a person, and also with their design um, approaches and ideals and everything, and never, never swayed. And the fact that we were friends and then also, I think the show itself became people's friend. And mm -hmm. I used to, like, get the impression from fans that they thought 
that as a group, like the designers and the carpenters and me, that we were all like riding around the country in that truck and that, (laughs) you know, that we would just spit two designers out at a time and be like, okay, you do this one. But but inside the truck, it's all like tiki porches and Mai Tais and we're all just like partying down and we're just together always, you know, and in some respect, in a, in a sort of in a figurative and metaphorical way, that's kind of how it was. And mm-hmm. I do think I take a little bit of credit for um, the positivity that extended through the whole crew and anybody that we met along the way. And when I've been asked about memories of the show, because with the reboot, everybody's like, what was your favorite room? And what was your favorite memory? Oh, boy. And for me, all of my memories are with you guys. I mean, because there was only two designers at a time and one carpenter, Mm -hmm. you know, but all my memories are with Natalie and you and Gary and Kevin Mm -hmm. and MB and Mindy. And like, that's what I remember. I remember poker in the hotel bar with (laughs) M&M. Like, that's what I remember, you know, or I don't know, just I one of my favorite memories ever. And I don't know if if it was your team that was there, but it's also one of my most favorite memories about Denise, who was our EP and who has passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember sitting at dinner. You know what? Was that the hundred grand episode? We were all at dinner and she made us all laugh because she was so funny. And Mm -hmm. Kevin Maraza was sitting next to her and he did a spit take. He laughed so hard and he spit on her. So he basically spit (laughs) on his boss and everything got silent. And then Denise said, oh, Kevin, everyone's got to have a last day. Oh, and she was so deadpan. Oh, man. (laughs) And, you know, of course, we were like, what? You know, we knew she was kidding. But that became a running joke. So like anytime anybody ever made any mistake of any kind, it became, Mm -hmm. oh, everyone's got to have a last day. And I'll never forget that. I still say it. That's a good one. That's a good one. I remember having a shared dance party with you. I don't know if you remember that. Me, you, and Daniel in the hotel in Orlando. She was having a concert on TV, and we were dancing around in wigs to share. <laughs> he kept it lively. He kept it live. Maybe I'll have him on the podcast next. <laughs> Do you remember when you and Vern, uh, Denise and I were downstairs in a house that you and Vern were upstairs decorating. The cameras were not rolling, of course. And we heard, do, 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 boo. <laughs> do, 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 boo. <laughs> And Denise and I look at each other and we're like, what are they doing up there? What the hell is going on? And we walk upstairs and Vern was making a padded wall. And you and Vern were running and jumping into the padded wall. And you thought it was the funniest thing in the world, the two of you. And Denise and I look at each other and we say, this is not funny because somebody's going to get hurt. Well, needless to say, nobody got hurt. But And I don't remember if it was you or Vern. One of you tripped on a can of black paint that spilled on the beige carpeting. And you and Vern laughed. (laughs) You two laughed like little kids. And Denise walked away because she was probably just too angry to fire anybody. She looked at me and she said, this is why I hired you. And I'm just thinking, I've, what do I do? (laughs) And you and Vern were no help. You just sat and laughed like little kids. What I remember about that is that we, 
stopped laughing when we saw what we had done and that we <laughs> were freaking out and practically shitting our pants because, well, and of course, Vern was extremely upset because it was his room for starters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, he now he's ruined his room, but also he understood the implications of having like ruined these homeowners carpet. And, um, yeah, we were very scared. I, I was not happy with uh, you that day, like, Paige Davis. <laughs> soak and suck, soak and suck. We got that. Yeah. One of those, uh, like, I guess like a steam cleaner, I guess. It was something, but Vern also had a chemical that we could use, a safe chemical, to get paint out of stuff. And, and I just remember going through so many rags to get that up. And it came up. We did it. Yeah, I yeah. know. It, you, you did it. I didn't. I think I stood yeah. by watching in panic. Well, and avoiding Denise, <laughs> who could be the sweetest person in the world, but you do not want to get on her bad side. That was for sure. <clears throat> so That story is in my book. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah. The the story about me in your book is a compliment of letting you go early one day to go to a basketball game. So I'm happy that I made a positive impact on you. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, this is called My Gay Life Podcast. And Paige, you, you are not gay. You are married to a wonderful man, Patrick. Um, I, we just wanted to get that out there for the audience because I have a lot of lesbian friends that wish you were. And I have to tell them every day she is not and she is married so back off. But you you are a wonderful, caring human being. And I have to say, working on trading spaces, I was never once at a, at a point where I had to hide who I was. Everybody was accepting. Everybody was wonderful. We had other gay people on the crew. And we were just one big happy family. And I always talk about it in a positive way. Because if I could just bottle up what that environment was like to be a gay person, and give that to everybody, I, it would be such a happier place to live in. So thank you for being so supportive and so wonderful. But this is part of your life, too. Like, you have a lot of gay friends. You you are a gay ally. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think it's one of the, obviously, one of the huge advantages of being a part of a business that is, one, creative, open, um, I mean, as an actress, not so much as a host, um, but as an actress, it's my job to understand being in someone else's shoes. Um, You know, in this business, it's filled with a lot of people who are open to the human experience in general. So um, for someone who is, you know, part of a different ethnicity, part of the LGBTQ community, um, who feels different in any way, there's always a place for them. Um, so not only is that amazing for the person who's on that side of it, the the use of the world, but you also get the same experience I get, which is a completely broadened experience of the world. You know, so many times ignorance is really the best way to say it. Don't you think it's, you're, you're taught these things, um, Mm -hmm. you're taught incorrectly. And a lot of it is just pure ignorance. People live in areas of the country or world where they only see more of themselves. So, you know, Patrick, my husband, he often says, um, you know, to him, he doesn't really see, like, say, even just in the, in, just in the United States, that he doesn't really see it as blue, red. He tends to see it more like city, country. So you either live in an area of your world, of your country, where you see 
lots and lots of people who are very different than you and you co-mingle with them. You see them taking care of their kids. You see them paying for their groceries. You see them laughing on the subway. You see, you know, you see life all around you in all its many shapes and sizes and it's no longer threatening. It's no longer even necessarily that interesting unless you take a moment mm-hmm. to breathe it in or you don't. You, yeah. by, for whatever reason, you're in an area of, of your world where everyone is the same as you. So you're not opened up to the same information. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really as simple as that. And it's much easier to see things through a narrower peephole. Now, I think what's happening today in our political climate and in our social climate is that because of the existence of the internet and the way, you know, this is another thing, like, Cindy, even when we were doing trading spaces, the mm-hmm. internet, it existed. Barely. It had barely just existed. Yeah. Um, but people weren't using it the way, I mean, today, it's like it's literally, literally in our hand all day long. All and day. All day. Mm-hmm. So people have less patience for ignorance because there's less of an excuse. There's never an excuse for ignorance, really. Um no but people have less patience for it because information is so attainable, you know, then we get into false information being so attainable and the whole, you know, Mm -hmm. hashtag fake news thing. And, um, you know, Trump sort of uses it as an excuse, but it's a, but it's a real thing. You know, it's a real thing. These articles that go around that are clickbait and everything else. So, but I don't, I don't mean that. I just mean like literal information, like, you know, Zimbabwe doesn't have to be so far away. Mm-hmm. We see pictures and information and, and we have 24-hour news cycles and news is on 24 hours a day. Like now that we have CNN and Fox News and MSNBC and forget your political leaning, like it's there. It's there. Exactly. So, there's really no excuse anymore. And I think that's where the outcry is coming from in terms of this push for social justice. I sometimes think... And this is something, again, that Patrick says, there's always going to be a pendulum swing, right? There's always going to be the pioneers who push really forward. And then there's always going to be the, you know, the three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, mm-hmm. two steps back. That's, that's history. People have a hard time with change. But because of the internet, change is happening radically faster than possibly the human psyche can keep up with. So like with the fight for gay marriage, that happened Mm -hmm. relatively quickly. Like as long as that took and as hard as that was, when you think about the black experience and how long they've been fighting and the number Mm -hmm. of years it took for them to be able to get, be legally wed to someone who was not black or, or to get the right to vote or whatever that was. When you put it in perspective in terms of a timeline, the gay marriage fight, was fast and the backlash for it is also louder like it's Mm -hmm. hard for people to it's hard for people to take it in it's the right fight it is the right side of history but it's 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 hard it's hard for people to change it is you see people cry because we changed their sofa oh i know oh it's true change the wall color and they can't (laughs) handle it like how are they supposed to handle something they've been taught since, you know, in utero 
mm-hmm. was wrong or, you know, this different is wrong or that different is wrong and only this is right. And now they're supposed to, like, you know, just get on board because they're told. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really, it's really hard for people that in the long run, it will all work out correctly because over history, it has, it's hard to be patient anymore. It's like, I don't want to be patient anymore. You should know better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly how I feel, you know, about the political atmosphere and what's happening. You should know better. This is wrong, but you're right. This isn't what we're used to. We're being led by someone we're not used to and it, it feels wrong and it feels hard and He's not making the best decisions for our country, but at the same point, like you said, it will work out. It has to work out. It's just very sad to think how many people will, how many people will even just be sad before it works out. How many more children will commit suicide before it works out? Mm-hmm. You know, how yeah. many more businesses will go under before it works out? How, you know, until it works out, all those people are still suffering, and that's what's hard to. Honestly, even the name of your podcast, uh-huh. like it struck me, you know, my gay life podcast, and mm-hmm. it, it what it did is it made me think of all those memes that went around. Like, when can it just be like my life podcast? Mm-hmm. Like, right. I don't, I don't, I don't get gay married. I get married. I don't gay park my car. I don't gay go to lunch. Well, do you even park a car, Paige? I mean. You live in New York. <laughs> I know. Well, that's true. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen you park a car. <laughs> it's safer for everybody that way. Um, but my, my co-host, Becca, who couldn't be here this morning, um, she's also gay. So I think it's, it's important that we, we talk about our lives because we have two very different lives, even though we're similar in so many ways. And it's not about being gay every day, but there are points where certain people and straight people don't have to think about it, but we do have to think about it. But I mean, you know, this is another thing, too. Like, so, you know, she's gay and you're gay. So you mean you're not in love? Exactly. You're not a couple. You know, and it's like, <laughs> like, and I, I hear people say, like, oh, I know someone gay. That'd be perfect for you. And it's like, mm-hmm. what? Yeah. It's like, we can't be in the same room together. Why aren't you holding hands? You guys okay? You fighting? We're not a couple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're not a couple. And I just, I really do. I think if if have i i hope i'm alive for it because i don't know how many years it's going to take cindy but mm-hmm. i think that's going to be the greatest day when you don't even have to acknowledge if you're gay or straight i mean other than to mm-hmm. figure out if you can hit on someone if they might be a partner for you right that might be important but i mean yeah that's probably important like oh are you an option for me oh no okay but i mean <laughs> it's just going to be so wonderful when when that's just a part of who you are and it's just, it's, it just is what it is. Living in Seattle, it feels that way. Nobody really cares here. I feel very safe in this city, which is nice. That's what I was saying about we're so lucky to be in a business where that's the predominant number of people that we meet. Our, you know, our world is by its very nature full of color and texture mm-hmm. and different and layers and thought. And because we're in a business where those things are, they're paramount to success as opposed to Mm -hmm. the other way around. I think that's why we choose our businesses. That's why I chose this business. And I wanted, I wanted to work on TV shows because it was fun. Um, (laughs) What was your first experience that you remember of either meeting a gay person or learning about a gay person? Do you remember? I think I do. I mean, one of the first um, memories that 
come to mind is actually a negative memory. Anyway, I just remember um, I was with my my boyfriend out of college. He he actually became my first husband, and he and his friend were hanging out, and he they joke for lack of a better word, um, you know, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, mm-hmm. and they were laughing, and I remember going, oh right, ha ha, and. I knew it felt wrong, but then there was a part of me that was like, oh, well, does that mean it's, does it mean it's unnatural? Does it mean it's wrong? And, and I I remember even back then that being the first time that I actually questioned the, what I now consider to be like a fable of -hmm. the Bible. And Mm -hmm. I remember feeling weird about it and icky about it and, but not really understanding at all and Mm -hmm. definitely not understanding about lesbians as opposed to men being gay. And I remember, I remember not understanding why the Ellen thing was such a big deal. I just didn't get it. And I, I remember though, the notion of being told that it was wrong, even in adulthood, because, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously by then I was an adult. Um, with Ellen coming out, I was, you know, an adult and I don't remember that I was supposed to think it was bad. Interesting. It's an interesting perspective. Childhood, if I knew anybody, I mean, my memories in childhood are like people not getting the gay experience, you know, not getting that Charles Nelson Riley was gay, not getting Mm -hmm. that Paul Lynn was gay. You know, mm-hmm. not like people not getting that Liberace was gay. Oh, mm-hmm. they're just interesting or flamboyant mm-hmm. was always, you know, the word. Or um, It's almost like people didn't want to see it. And I don't know, like being just a, a kid in the early 70s, I think we'd come through the sexual revolution, you know, all of that, the 60s. But I don't know, for me, it was just always this thing that I was told was weird. Yeah, me too. And then, and I always say, like, watching television then, you know, on Three's Company, he pretended to be gay. It wasn't a real thing. Or Klinger on MASH would dress up as a woman as a joke because it wasn't a real thing. So in my mind, it wasn't a real thing. It was just always a joke. So I didn't understand well, it. And the thing, oh my gosh, the thing on MASH, I mean, Cindy, he dressed as a woman so that he could actually be considered a little crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't he trying to get sent home? Yeah, he wanted to be discharged. Yeah, but he kept, but he kept failing his like insanity test. <laughs> like, exactly. He couldn't, pull, he couldn't actually pull <laughs> off being crazy. But he, he, no. he kept, like the doctors actually knew the difference. But he kept yeah. <laughs> as a woman as a way to be crazy. Yeah, exactly. It was a joke. Uh huh. It was a yeah. No one mm-hmm. would want to do that. Yeah, that would be weird, right? That would be I wrong, know. Patrick. Patrick did a, um, there's so many different versions of queer, it's crazy, that Patrick did a, a play on Broadway called Casa Valentina. It was written by Harvey um, Firestein. Oh, Harvey. It was about um, a, a real place that existed in the 60s up in the Catskills called Casa Susana. And mm-hmm. it was a, a house and it was a place like like a like a bed and breakfast almost, a big gigantic house where men who wanted to cross-dress, straight men, men who were not gay, some of them were, some of them were gay, 
but mm-hmm. they were straight men, predominantly heterosexual men, who needed to cross-dress. And it was illegal, Cindy, illegal yeah. for them to do it. They could get away with it at Halloween parties and ah, mm-hmm. ha, 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 but they could go to this place. And sometimes even their wives went with them. Um, oh, not wow. that often, but sometimes they did. And they could just relax. They could know they weren't going to get beat up, know they weren't going to get arrested, know they weren't going to get shot. And they could just hang out in women's clothes and feel comfortable and feel like they were themselves. And I'm telling you, people, even today, I mean, that was just on Broadway like three years ago. Mm -hmm. Even today, people would say after the production, we'd like see them at the bar across the street, like audience members and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, oh, come on. They were gay. No, no, they weren't. <laughs> no. Actually, they were heterosexual men. This is a true story. People don't understand it, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong. Right. But a woman can dress like a boy and be a tomboy and not be gay. Though, you know, they're assumed that they are gay. But it is a little bit more acceptable to see a woman dress as a boy and just be called a tomboy and say, oh, that's okay. But for a man to try to do it, it's just not, it's not cool at all. No, that's right. That's right. A girl who dresses like a boy, it's kind of like, you know, they're cool or something. Yeah. You know, it's, it's cool. Like Annie Hall. Or... Mm-hmm. That's a perfect example. Yeah. Or Joe from the Facts of Life, my favorite. <laughs> she was the coolest. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of your charity work that you do? I know that you do the, the backpack program. And do you work with the Broadway, uh, Children on Broadway program? I've been involved with Volunteers of America for a long time. Um, And just like a total side note, just because it's a like a thorn in my side, Volunteers of America is not a volunteer organization. It is a fully, you know, professional social services organization like the United Way or um, whatever. It's a national organization. uh, And I am uh, on the board of directors of the New York chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do volunteer, and obviously we need volunteers to do a lot of stuff that we do, but we are, uh, we provide the most services to veterans in all of New York, and we have numerous homeless shelters and <clears throat> domestic violence shelters and early learning, uh, disability schools, and obviously all of those are, are run and handled by professionals who are paid salaries <laughs> to do their jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, people think that, you know, Volunteers of America is just a, you know, you call us and, and we give you a great volunteer job to do somewhere. You know, we're not a, I don't know what you call that. We're not just a middleman sending out volunteers to places. Right. Um, so I got involved um, because as anyone gets involved in anything, you have a personal relationship with someone. So the woman who lives mm-hmm. across the hall from me is the director of communications for the New York chapter. And one day we were talking out in the hall, just kind of hanging out. And she mentioned that they had started a program to collect school supplies to pass out to the kids in the homeless shelters that Volunteers of America run. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to try to make the program bigger. And she thought, as many companies often think, what if we attached you know, a, a name and face, a recognizable name and face 
mm-hmm. the project. It'll help get it out there more. People might pay more attention. And so she eventually asked me to, well, she said, I want to find recognizable New York faces to pose, you know, to pose for posters and things like that. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is that to go back to the earlier part of our conversation, I said, I would be I would be so happy to help. You know, she'd already told me about the staggering statistic of over 13,000 school-age children in our homeless shelter system mm-hmm. um, who, you know, don't have the means to buy school supplies. And, of course, now, unfortunately, that number is even higher. It's close to 22,000. And that's, again, school-age. We're not even including babies and toddlers in this scenario yeah. of children who are in our homeless shelter system. Mm-hmm. So. I said, I would love to help. And she kind of looked at me like, oh, okay. And she didn't really seem that interested because she had no idea what Trading Spaces was, nor did she give a flying fuck. So (laughs) (laughs) she went to work the next day and had mentioned something. I think, yeah, she'd mentioned something about me and how she was discussing it. And I had mentioned that I might be able to get Tony Danza on board Mm because at the time I, I knew him for something and I forget why now, actually. And um, I was mentioning some people I could get on board. And so she was telling them the people I said I could get on board. And mm-hmm. they were like, you know Paige Davis? Yeah, she's my neighbor. <laughs> what? Oh, my God. And they're, like, freaking out. And then so she said, well, should I ask her? She said she would do it. And they're like, yes, yes. Oh, my God. Can you That's amazing. <laughs> so she comes knocking on my door the next day and she's like um apparently your show is a big deal <laughs> like, I'm really sorry you know so I was like no, that's that is okay. so you know, funny <laughs> so eventually I did pose for the posters and um and back then it was really small we only collected like you know well I I went and helped her the first mm-hmm. year um, and it was like a few hundred, it was like maybe no more than 500 backpacks we filled with school supplies. And that's when she said, I really want to make it bigger and I really want to get a recognizable name. So the next year it, it did bump up. I mean, we got the Mets to pose, um, Tony Danza or maybe Tony Danza came the next year. I know we got Kevin Bacon because his daughter went to school mm-hmm. with her daughter. So she was brave enough to ask. Aww. And, um, Somehow or another, we got Susan Sarandon, we got Cordon Blue, wow, uh, me. Um, so it just kind of started to take off, and that's just really how I got involved. I, I mean, and I would go down, and I would, I definitely was always participating in sorting the backpacks and mm-hmm. and making it all happen. And then slowly, I became like sucked into the whole organization and ended up getting on the board of directors and. Which is just crazy. I have no business being on the board of directors. I know nothing yes, you of what do. I speak. No, 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 I don't. I sit in these rooms, Cindy. I sit in these meetings, and they're talking about this tax code and this, that. And, you know, a lot of what Volunteers of America needs to do is, you know, it's a lot of real estate uh, information going back and forth because, you know, we have all of these shelters. So, mm-hmm. you know, Volunteers of America is involved in all of this, like, you know, buildings and building codes and real estate mm-hmm. and changing things over. And, and I'm like, this is all over my head, like so over my head. I have no idea what they're talking about. Um, but I just sit there and smile. And then, and then I show <laughs> up at events. And, but, yeah. 
I really shouldn't be on the board, but I like saying I'm, I, I'm sure you help in other ways. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm on the well, you got to say it without giggling, though. I mean, that's the part that gives it away. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> right. I have to say it without giggling. <laughs> Is there a website people can go to? VOA-DNY.org. The letters right. stand for Volunteers of America, Greater New York, but the actual um, website is voa-gny.org. And the backpack program that's called Operation Backpack mm-hmm. is one of the best in the entire country. And we, we not only provide backpacks filled with school supplies, but we provide new backpacks filled with new school supplies mm-hmm. that are grade-specific. So that's great. You know, the kindergartner gets what the kindergartner needs. The high school student gets what the high school student needs. And of course, they're vastly different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, the financial burden that left for these families is it's shocking. You know, and, and a lot of these children, you know, the really the the only way out of poverty is education. And if if a child doesn't want to go to school, you know, or even God forbid skips out of school for fear of shame or humiliation or embarrassment, you know, there's this very, there's a misplaced idea that if you're homeless, you have somehow done something to deserve it, that it's your fault. And that is almost never the case. Of course, there are people in our homeless shelter system that have, you know, gotten themselves into trouble in some way. But you know, even then, how they fell on those hard times is often a series of things that could happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. And most that's of the, the time, part. you know, I do I do a lot of volunteer work at a soup kitchen that's right down the street from me. Every Saturday when I'm here, I go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the line, as I see people come through, they're just like you and me, Cindy. They look, it's not like everybody who comes to that line is some, you know, hobo. Mm-hmm. But now we have that. We have people come through the line who are clearly hyped up on drugs or or alcohol or, frankly, are not mentally stable, which might be why they're there in the first place, mm-hmm. um, who, uh, you know, are, are scary in some way. But 80% or more of the people in line just look like anybody you'd see any day. Yeah. And they are in need of food. and. You know, I I feel like even if someone could say it's the adult's fault that the family's in the shelter system, it's certainly mm-hmm. never the child's fault. Yeah. And if they can't go to school or don't want to go to school because people believe in a, a shame attached with homelessness, then they'll never get out. Mm-hmm. So it's really important. And, and that's why I love that our program only does new supplies and not even gently used because we want our kids and our shelter systems to feel as special as all their peers next to them. And the whole point is to help them fit in and make them feel like all their other peers instead of sending them with school supplies that will just point out the fact that they aren't the same. Mm -hmm. And it's very empowering for them to walk in knowing that they can just hold their head high and, you know, we have so many success stories of these kids who say like, I, I would have never made it through school if I didn't have that backpack. And it was a way of me hearing that somebody believed in me. Somebody believed that I was worth going to school. 
that I was worth so important. school supplies. Yeah. It's so important. It's so much more than just the lessening of the financial burden. It's so much greater mm-hmm. than that. That's the literal assistance, but the broader assistance is the difference between success and failure. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great program. I'm, I'm so proud of you. I know you've done it for so long, so thank you for doing stuff like that. Yeah, like almost 12 years now. Yeah, it's. I remember when you were when you started doing that. Yeah. I definitely do a lot of work for Broadway Cares Equity Fight Aid. Um, mm-hmm. The Broadway community is, you know, asked to do that a lot. We're called upon to lend our time, lend our talent mm-hmm. in whatever way we can. And I do. Whatever ask, I do. It's, you know, something as simple as the Broadway community every year, twice a year, they collect money from the audiences. So mm-hmm. for a six-week period in the spring and a six-week period in the fall, you know, every Broadway audience is, you know, they're subjected to a speech at the end of the show <laughs> and, the, and they're asked to drop money in red buckets as they leave the theater. And I will often give that speech and, or will collect money, you know, in the, in the red bucket. And mm-hmm. that's just, you know, so what, it's an extra 15 minutes of your day for yeah. six weeks, you know, I mean, it's definitely a commitment. Um, but it's completely worth it. So I'll always be the one who volunteers for, you know, stuff like that. And I'll always mm-hmm. perform if I'm asked to perform or I'll always host something if they ask me to host something. Um, but that's, you know, that's easy. And and most everybody in the Broadway community does that. It's Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS is such a magnificent organization. It's just run mm-hmm. so beautifully. And they help so many people. Like they don't even just give money to people um, dealing with HIV and AIDS. They they help women with breast cancer. They're very tied to the Phyllis Newman uh, Health Initiative. And they give back and forth assistance with the Actors Fund, which really helps actors down on their luck. And mm-hmm. Yeah, they do a lot. They're amazing. Yeah. Um, and you're amazing. I was so lucky to get to see you perform in Chicago uh, many years ago and you are just amazing so i hope i get to see you perform again because you are a true talent Paige davis (laughs) i'm a big fan (laughs) thank you cindy i'm a big fan of yours too oh thanks do you have any projects coming up i know that the 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 reboot of trading spaces i believe just wrapped um do you know when it's going to air or anything like that it will air in the spring it's you know it's really exciting like i said it it really was like it hadn't even stopped. It was so wild. It was just like we had never even ended shooting. And it was, you know, all <laughs> six legacy designers are back. Uh, Ty is back, which is huge. And Carter is back. And mm-hmm. then we have three new designers that were added to the list. Um, a lot of people know Sabrina Soto and mm-hmm. John Gidding. And they're mm-hmm. fantastic television. And Kahi Lee, uh, also, she had a great show, Design on a Dime. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm finding that, that people don't know her name as much as they know Sabrina and John, but she's like, she's a total force in the DIY TV world. Yeah. And she's great. And she did an amazing room. And, um, and then we have two new carpenters, Brett Tudor and uh, uh, Joni Sprague. And it's just been amazing. And there, you know, we had guest designers on board and we had the new ones and we had all the old ones. And I mean, it was just, it was crazy, Cindy. It was really wild. <laughs> it was really yeah. wild and a lot of drama. 
but good drama like no 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 drama and and plenty of just good old-fashioned boring diy television like we never create conflict you know that was the great thing like nowadays people think of reality television in such a different way but when we were doing trading spaces it really was just real Mm -hmm. we showed up we did two rooms in two days captured on a camera went home and edited Mm -hmm. it like that was it and you can't write stuff that was as funny and as great as what happened Mm -hmm. you know if, if you try to force it it ends up not being that great it's true Mm-hmm. You know, trying to like bring, uh, you know, shooting trading spaces again and doing it in that vein. Like, just let's just do it for real. How about we just do it for real? And yeah. See what happens. You know, and everybody was like, "Ooh, crazy concept." That's a crazy concept. What does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to watch it. It's gonna be it's gonna be really nostalgic for me to go back and remember those years. That was that was amazing. Um, there's always a part of me. It's like, oh, why did it ever stop? <laughs> well, you know what? Because we messed with it. Oh yeah, we won't talk about that. Mm-hmm. They stopped using. You know, they stopped using a host. It went hostless for yep. a while. Then we had, you know, oh surprise! You get to spend this amount of money, or like it lost its way in an attempt mm-hmm. to stay fresh and to stay new and to stay current. It was no longer itself anymore. That's my yeah. opinion. That's what I think happened. But. I mean, no, we all agree. We all agree. I mean, they stopped using me, so of course I think that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I have a biased opinion, but I do really mean that. You know, you can't, you can only change so much before you're not yourself anymore. Mm-hmm. I remember when, I, uh, when Sabrina was doing her episode, she said to me, um, you know, where, do the, where will the homeowners stay? And I said, they, they stay here. They stay at each other's house. And she was like, well, Paige, I mean, I know we say that, but like, what hotel would they be in? Like, oh, Sabrina, they spend the night in each other's house. And she's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. It is insane, but true. Yeah. It's so true. Oh. I'm like, yeah, it's real. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a crazy concept, but it's true. <laughs> I could talk to you all day. It was wonderful to chat with you and get caught up. Is there a website people can go to to find out what's next for Paige Davis and follow you and all of your wonderful acting and hosting gigs? <laughs> PaigeDavis.com. <laughs> the biggest favor anybody could do for me is is all those follows. I mean, that would be amazing. And the website doesn't change really hardly ever. Um, mm-hmm. But the best thing is that's certainly where you can find you know, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, you know, to, to follow me at real page Davis. So if people want to like that, I will be their best friend in virtual reality. And um, <laughs> obviously Twitter is real page Davis and Instagram mm-hmm. is real page Davis. And I've been trying to make more of a concerted effort to uh, use Instagram because Instagram is like enormous now. I, I don't understand any of it either. That's why I have Becca, who's my co-host. She is amazing. She does so much social media. It's what she does. So if you have any questions, I can, she'll, she'll happily help you. And, and just so you know, we usually do co-host the shows together, but she had a work trip and now she's getting caught up on stuff. Well, I feel personally <laughs> jilted and I'm deeply offended that she didn't care enough to be here with me today, but that's fine. And you should, you should. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to call her and tell her right now. <laughs> 
Well, Paige, I adore you. And I thank you so much for doing this. It means a lot to us to get your name attached to our podcast and to just catch up with you again. And I hope that I, one, get to New York to see you soon or you get to Seattle to see me. Um, but I would love, love, love to have some time with you in person when we, when our schedules allow. Oh, I would love that too. You know, one of my best friends lives in Seattle now. She just moved there this year. And so it wouldn't be that, it wouldn't be so weird for me to be there actually. Um, Okay. It wouldn't have been weird if you just wanted to visit me either, but I'll just leave that off the table. (laughs) Oh, I know. I know. That's so mean. That's so mean. I didn't mean it like that. Um, it's okay. Wouldn't it be cool if we traded spaces in Seattle again? Uh, we should. We absolutely should. Oh my god, that would be so great. You could come hang out with me. I would hang out with you. I would take. I would take every day off of work that you're here and hang out with you. Well, it would be so much fun. Believe me, if I if I find myself in Seattle, you will know it. I promise. <laughs> I know because I follow you. <laughs> but hopefully, you would also <laughs> tell me. <laughs> I am a fan, Paige. Hey, everybody. I am a fan. That's right. (laughs) How dare you? I cleaned up your paint. (laughs) Well, have a lovely rest of your day. I love you so much. Thank you so much. And I cannot wait to watch Trading Spaces again.